The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Summer is finally here, and hopefully that means more hobby time for us adults. That is, if you're not running kids to soccer games, taking them to Disney or the beach. Well, here in Alabama, the summer heat is in full swing. It's making resin wings more flaccid than a Warlord F4F Wildcat. But speaking of flaccid, I'm joined tonight on the podcast by Steve, Brett, and Casey. What up, Team Lead Pursuit? How's it going? If I was any more rigid, I'd need to see a doctor. I heard flaccid, so I'm here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hobby flaccidness. That's what I need to talk about this week. But anyway, hey, let's jump right into talking events because, you know, I was having a great day today. I was kind of, I was early, I was done early with work, but not really done. I knew some other shit was going to hit the fan, but had a moment to take some time. So I said, you know what, I'm going to sit down, get a drink, watch some YouTube. And I kicked over and was watching our good buddy, Steve Gusky, who stabbed me in the heart in his YouTube video and reminded me that it had been a year since GOE 2021 and we had not done another GOE event. So thanks, Steve. You, you broke my heart right there. And then I feel like I'm a fucking failure for the whole community by not spending thousands of dollars to go to New Orleans. I can't uh, believe he called you out like that. Yeah, he did. You know, I swear, friends, what the fuck? No. Um, but to that point, yeah, man, it's it's been an interesting year. And we'll talk a little bit about that in the main part of tonight's episode. But we're doing some GOE stuff. Uh, I think as everyone comes out of this pandemic and prices go back up and there's inflation and whatever, we can have that freaking argument later over beer. Uh, it's going to get tough to do some of these events. So we're going to play it by ear. We're going to go to other people's events and we're all going to get together, push little airplanes and you know drink beer. So what events have we got coming up? Uh, Twisted Dorks, I mean Twisted Lords, uh, on uh, 22 to 24 July. Uh, Lots of shit's in flux with that. Obviously, I was going to be there. Now I'm not. I'm going to be on a business trip. Uh, Casey, uh, you've got a Friday night event, right? Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so what we're going to do is instead of just doing the tournament, um, what we'll do is it's a really fun narrative event. We're going to use the new uh, Rockworks B-17 models that I painted up, and we're just going to have a fun, like, hey, the B-17's got to make the bombing run, get from one end of the table to the other, and so we'll have some escorts of P-38s, P-47s. You'll have some escorts? Are they are they paid escorts? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Only not the kind of escorts. <laughs> not an escort service. You meant escort fighters. Shit. We'll have some wrong, Germans. Yeah. And I'm looking right now. I'm actually wor- fine-tuning the uh, wording right now on the Twisted Lords Con website. And you can find that actually on tabletop.events. So hopefully by tomorrow morning, it'll be approved if you want to sign up for this. But um, yeah, so we'll have some Americans, B-17s. The players will control that along with the escorts. And then some Germans. Some 109s. Maybe some one. I'm thinking about for fun adding maybe two 262s in there. Four players, possibly six. Everybody controls it. It's just going to be a fun narrative event. Hopefully, have some drinks around there, talking, laughing, just having a good time. Cool, cool. Well, the other good thing is uh, talking to the infamous John Russell. 
last night. He uh, he said, we will do a tournament even if he has to run it. And then I about spit my drink out. And I said, no, really, John, really. <laughs> I, th- I think I could find someone else. So uh, hopefully there'll still be a Saturday tournament. And Sunday, Sunday, Sunday is going to be Big Red Skies. So, uh, yeah, stick around and play Big Red Skies on Sunday. I don't know what the event is. I have talked to the person who's going to run it, and I've said, hey, uh, you can do whatever the fuck you want because I'm not there. Uh, so uh, it should be something fun. It should be a cool event. It should be narrative, uh, not competitive, and uh, it will be with big 172nd scale models. Now, uh, that being said, I'm, I'm being super hands-off about it, uh, other than Casey, don't fuck it up. And let me remind you, don't, don't fuck it up. Uh, <laughs> I'm writing so, it down now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do not fuck it up. Uh, but the deal is, everyone that's going to TLC, have fun. Wish I was going to be there. I'm, uh, I'm super disappointed I'm not, uh, but it's weird. I actually have to do my job to collect a paycheck. Uh, so, well, I'm not going to be there. All right. That same weekend, Historicon, Steve, still on for a Friday night tournament? You know it. I'm pumped for it. I'm getting everything all together. I'm psyched. It's going to be a great tournament. Shit hot. That's going to be good. So, uh, you know, Historicon is another kind of event that we've partnered up with a variety of people and with Mythicos and, and a lot of other guys uh, to do some cool stuff up there. There will obviously be some a lot of other aviation events going on, a lot of other wargaming going on. But uh, if you're going to be there, parcel out the time Friday for the tournament. Uh, let me tell you right now, I don't know how we're going to do tournament signups yet for both those, but we'll get that figured out in the next week, and we'll get that information out on our website and on the Facebook page. All right, moving on, when Doug gets back from actually doing his job, and uh, the following weekend, 16 to 18 August, definitely doing a BRS tournament at NashCon. So it will be the same setup as we had last year out in the foyer. Nice area right next to the bolt action tables. Chance for us to do our tournament. Uh and I'm going to be there the rest of the weekend. So, you know, we'll do some other stuff that uh, that we can. We're trying to talk in a, you know, we've kicked around doing a Bolt Action Korea event on Friday night. Uh, we'll see if that goes. That hopefully will be two tables side by side, uh, one with some Blood Red Skies battles, the other one with some Bolt Action battles. And we'll see how that uh, develops. We'll let everybody know what the plan is as we get a little bit closer. And we might even use some modified combined arms rules that we've whipped up. So we'll see uh, see what cool stuff we can throw out at NashCon. Uh, and then, you know, once again, tons of BRS pickup games. I think like I'm that. throwing my uh, hat in the ring for NashCon, too. What? I have that. Yeah, I have what? those, you know, plane tickets that I totally fucked up and made my whole family drive, you know, 30 hours because I booked the wrong date just waiting to be spent somewhere. So we might do NashCon. Dad of the year right there. <laughs> Uh, well, that would be good because especially the, the question is, will you bring your wife? And if you do, will it be three pairs of boots? Uh, again? No. <laughs> That's a negative. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, well, in this case, we will not invite the wives to NashCon because we don't need any additional expenses. We spend enough money with our gaming stuff. So uh, we'll be there. We'll have fun. Uh, and it should be a, a really cool event because NashCon's got a lot of diverse stuff. I know Aerodrome's going to be there. I know that there's a couple other aerial war games going in and we might even do some AI there. So moving on, the big event, Crucible, 30 September to 2 October. Well, for everyone else in the podcast, 2 October. 2 October is my anniversary, so I will not be gaming that day. Love you all like brothers, but 
go fuck yourselves. Um, we'll be doing some BRS and some AI. It's pretty much going to be the de facto GOE for 2022. So sorry, we're not kind of hosting our own event, uh, but it's the event when all of the podcast is going to be together, hanging out, acting like a bunch of idiots and playing aerial war games. So regardless of how many tables we have, we know we're set up well for a BRS tournament. We know we have a full-time BRS table or two. And if we need more tables, we'll just get more tables and we'll just play somewhere else and we'll go outside and drink beer and play games. Uh, so be there or else the mouse gets it because because I will kill a mouse. I'll be Brett, able to drive down with all my stuff. Or a, I know a you, you won't have yeah. to pack for once. You're not going to show up with, you know, the Steve Toth three suitcases. Yeah, so all the all the mats and all the planes, whatever, whatever we need. Hells man. yeah, yeah, I'm driving your, as well, so I should bring, bring your R44 motorcycle for a little bolt action. <laughs> That's R75, sir. Get it right. Is that, is that DAC or is that European yeah. camouflage? <laughs> I'm just gonna mute myself now. <laughs> oh, the jokes never get old. All right, well, moving on from making fun of Brett for his Adepticon <clears throat> model buying spree. Uh, yeah, so, all right, those are the events. There's There might be stuff later in the year. I know my work schedule kicks off and gets stupid at the end of November. Siege of Augusta, or sorry, Siege of Vicksburg is still in the plan. I haven't uh, heard any updates from Adam about what, uh, what all else is going on there, but that's still in the cards. Uh, and then after that, you know, who knows? I know, Casey, you guys have Millennium Con. We'll figure all that out here in, in the next couple months. You should try to make it. All right. Veterans Day weekend. Yeah, Vets Day weekend, uh, where I will probably be shit-faced somewhere, but it will not be Millennium Con. <laughs> Do you guys hear a lot of excuses right. from him about missing gaming? I'm just curious. Well, you, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I have other things to do. It's like the Marine Corps birthday the day before. So, you know, why would I spend that with a bunch of dorks? Oh. <laughs> with a bunch of Marines. <laughs> with a bunch of Marine dorks that like little airplanes and painting figures. Yeah dorks oh man all right well let's talk about some of the things that we've seen coming out in our intel update uh, the big one the 700 pound gorilla uh, besides all the aces and all the other squadron boxes and all the crazy shit on pre-order from warlord is the ops room steve what is the ops room it is finally the release of the card deck that Ken Nat has blessed us with, with all his hard work. Oh, so I thank you so much, so Ken. excited to finally get this card deck. Uh, does this just not fill the biggest gap that has been there for this game? <laughs> I, th I thought the biggest gap was the outsized stand holes in the, in the zeros that didn't fit. Oh, not that gap, kind of a gap. Sorry. <laughs> oh, too soon. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hope that that... The card thing sells like gangbusters because, you know, as a community, we bitched and bitched about it. We were noisy about it as well. So, I, you know, I, I'm certainly putting in my pre-order. Uh, I want the cards. And you fucking I, said that last week. Where the, where the fuck is your pre-order, dude? I mean, it's it's not like you don't know the web address. Uh, I've just been slammed <laughs> at work. Yeah, I've kind of I've, I've been kind of putting like all non-work stuff off to the side until the weekend, but I'll get to it. But yes, I, I'm, I, I intend I, to get it. I bust your balls, but there's there's an interesting point there. So... It's been funny for me to watch, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but the the percentage numbers of pre-orders and how it's gone throughout the year. And there definitely is, as I'll refer to later, some BRS fatigue going on. Um, but let's talk about what's in that card deck. Now, there's a ton of those cards that people already have. I get it. Uh, some of them came in starter sets. Some of them came in the new starter sets. Some of them came in squadron boxes. 
But there's a bunch of new ones in there that we've never seen before. And so I'm actually really kind of excited for those just to see how those fit into the um, into the current way that the, the theater and doctrine cards work and what they kind of modify. Because if you kind of felt that all the stats and all the ways of nerfing somebody or, or enhancing your own, your own fighters and bombers were already there, the doctrine cards, well, guess what? There's already five or six new ones. Things like, you know, Blood Brothers, uh, The Big Wing, uh, Snap Roll, uh, a couple different ones that I'm, I'm curious to see what the actual wording is going to be. I'm excited. I'm bummed because there was a rumor of a card that was called Mixed Bag. That was a potential, and it doesn't yeah. look like that. Oh, yeah. I noticed that didn't make it. So I thought that card was going to be in there, and I thought that was really formalizing what had been thrown out that, hey, we just got to have a way to, to play some mixed squadrons. But I don't know if it was the wording that Andy felt kind of broke the model or if they just played it enough and they're like, dude, this is going to allow people to min-max all the squadrons. I, I don't know exactly the reason it didn't make the cut. So um, maybe it's actually secret. Maybe it's in there they didn't put on the list. But overall, it's really exciting. I mean, I think this is like, this was needed. It's going to allow everybody who either bought, couldn't find uh, the Battle of Britain set or only bought one set. I mean, this right. is going to be like, buy this pack get all the stuff and you're good to go with the most current cards. Probably some of the typos might even be fixed. The wording will be the same. Well, and the reason I like it is it's, it's almost the inverse of the old games workshop, even the current games workshop model where let me charge you $300 to buy the starter set for all the stuff that you could either buy third party and then buy some models. And that would cost you 150. Uh, this is kind of the inverse. If you go out and you buy the Ops Room card deck and the Airstrike book with all the tokens and clouds and, and all that, you literally have more than what you need in a starter set, and it costs only a little bit more. And you know, Now that I'm talking out my butt, I'm going to have to go out there and actually look and see what the, the price is uh, for the, uh, the, the combined Airstrike plus Ops Room uh, you know, package. Let's see as we're looking here. What have they said? So I got to put on the glasses because I can't read that far. It is, eh? It's actually cheaper. It's fifty-four bucks. So you roll in for fifty-four bucks. It's bring your own airplanes. Uh, that that's actually pretty good value for me. So I think it's a good way where people are going to go. You know what? I couldn't care less about Midway. I couldn't care less about the old Battle of Britain set. I just want to buy exactly the fighters and bombers and whatever that I want, um, and then for 55 bucks, I get all the cards and the rules. So I do hope that there is something on the card that maybe says like 2022 or just some little note that you can put on there that like these are the newest current cards. So some of the ones that said discard instead of remove, like that would be convenient. I'm getting mine. I mean, I want to have all the cards. So here you go. Then we finally got what we asked for, right? I think you'll see it really popular with players. Just about everybody wants it and needs it. So I'm hoping, though, once they see everybody buying these, we'll see some more stuff come out, too. Yeah, what's the next thing What's the next thing we could cry about and say, man, they really ought to make this. They're fools. Why don't they make this? Probably a, a campaign, campaign, campaign system. Well, a campaign system. Too soon? Wait, no. Uh, we can cry about uh, ace cards, you know, ace cards and equipment cards, because there's apparently none of those... Uh, you know, the airstrike equipment cards haven't really come out anywhere else, so people don't have cluster bombs and 
you know, radio guided bombs and all the other cool things and air to ground rockets. Although I think air to ground rockets is in one of the bomber boxes, I think. I don't know. But anyway, as long as it sells better than the neoprene ship targets that everybody had to have, they should be happy. <laughs> how many how many of those have we sold? Five, maybe six? I don't know. Oh, that's all right. It's okay. That's okay. Well, let's move on from the ops room and the rest of the shit going on here. All right. Uh, Flightline. Yeah. The question is, Doug, do you even hobby, bro? Uh, Apparently not. Apparently fucking I don't do shit. Um, But I know, Brett, you've been putting in some time to get the Catalina up and done. Want to tell us anything about that? Yeah, man. I'm doing that three-color pattern. Forgive me if it's called something else, but uh, using some Blue Falcon Hobbies paints, giving those a run, the navy colors, and I like it, man. It's I kind of did something a little bit different with this model because it's a little bit bigger. So I tried to do a little pre-shading and yeah. some yeah. Uh, you know panel modulation on it to kind of make it look a little more weathered and stuff. You know, I guess like the kind of thing you see on a larger scale model. But uh, I kind of like the effect. It looks a little, uh, I don't know, more weathered than my typical style. But for a big model yeah, like it, that, it, it looks kind of good. It does not look like a clean airplane, but I like it. I think it's going to look cool if you have not seen the photos. They're out on our Instagram and I guess I could repost those to Facebook, whatever, that, that <clears throat> would require effort on my part. Um, but yeah, looking forward to, to seeing that actually all panned up. And we've obviously also seen a couple of the H8Ks in the ready room. And those have been cool because they've been everything from super clean lines to super weathered. And I think that it, it's nice to see these really big showpiece models get painted up. Oh, yeah. yeah that one Chris Cassidy did looks amazing in there that yeah, he posted yeah. the other day. Chris's and Dan's both look good, and, and I think two different takes on it, and I think they, uh, I think they're pretty cool. I did a little bit of like a, uh, I guess once I did the panel lines and the sort of panel modulation with the airbrush or whatever, I did. Uh, I think some people call it an overbrushing technique, so kind of like a dry brush, but it's not dry. It's a little bit more wet, but super thin coats, right? So really thin down paint, and uh, just brushing it on really quick in very thin coats almost like, like I say, like a dry brushing technique with a really wide brush and uh, just multiple coats. I'm talking like to get the effect, like I just keep putting them on and once it's dry, put on another coat, like maybe seven or eight layers until you, until I got the, like the, the shade I wanted, you know, the amount of darkness I wanted on that dark color. And, uh, it was kind of cool. It's kind of a fun process. Yeah. Um, it's kind of stuck right now though, because, um, the only decals I have for it are the, um, midway decals that came with it. And, uh, I think the tri color thing might be a little later i think maybe the 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 insignia or whatever had a horizontal bar with the star and i don't have your decals rivets like that. have been improperly counted uh, yeah oh. yes yeah, yeah you know, I know. I, 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 it's <laughs> someone like, will mm. complain so good good on you man good good on yeah, you for Brett, you need take the, the time to look at with it. the red outline from june of 1943 to April of 1944. <laughs> right. Is this right. the only thing that history White Claw knows is what the paint scheme differences are? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I got to get some decals, I think, to finish this one. But that's all there is. I just got to slam on some decals and we're ready to rock. Awesome. Awesome. That'll be cool to see. I know uh, I'm super excited about it. And maybe I'll actually start painting some of the other crap that's sitting here. I've, I'm waiting to do my decals on my Wildcats and my Zeros. And the only reason I'm waiting is I can't find any Hawk widgets anywhere in the entire fucking United States because Brett bought them all at Adepticon. Uh, so I think I'm just going to trim out the bases a little bit more, put ball bearings in there and just make them, uh, you know, magnetic ball bearing mounts. Whatever. Not a big deal. Um, that's a super minor hobby thing to fix before I get to the uh, decal stage. 
what else have people been working on? Cleaning up hobby spaces. Yeah, doing I hobby, got my whole hobby, hobby space back to actually like workable conditions. So I had like a year of just shit all over of a the hobby gasm that was oh, going was, on oh it was terrible <laughs> i couldn't even walk down there i was like stepping on bolt action pieces and needing stitches in the bottom of my feet i mean it was awful and <laughs> they're now worse I than can, legos i know now <laughs> yeah bolt action machine guns are worse than legos to step on but uh yeah i'm ready to go now i got some p38s queued up and uh yeah i'm, I'm excited to get back to doing some little plain painting little bitty planes yeah, so that'll be good. Uh, well, you know, moving on from hobby shit, let's talk about all the other crap that Doug's behind on that we haven't put out there. Uh, plane printer's been kicking ass with some new models. Uh, obviously, a bunch we didn't care about, a bunch of interwar biplane stuff. Uh, but the CU-202's out there. Uh, there, you know, the HE-162. There's a couple other cool ones that are all out there. Bear with us. I haven't got them on the website. If you really need these things and nobody in your town prints the 3D models, well, uh, either you have no friends or you're super loyal to the Lead Pursuit podcast. So either way, thank you very much. And we will get those other plain printer uh, models out there. We've been having a little bit of printer drama, right, Casey? Oh, I knew this was coming. No, but also speaking of that, he's put out some 1 in 600 um, planes that if people do want them, if they email you, they print pretty well in one and two hundred. They're not going to have the detail in the panel lines that the one and two hundred scale like natively have, but they still come out pretty good. So if someone absolutely needs the Condor, like we can smoother than a Korean teens. Oh, never mind. Um, yes, so they they are a rather detailless, but uh, I think the models still look cool. And, and let's be honest. You're putting them on the board as airplanes, and you're going to stand three, four feet away from them. They're going to look good. So, uh, yeah, we'll get some of that out there. And uh, just be patient, because I'm going to be gone for part of July and into August. So we'll have a note on the web store about, hey, feel free to order stuff. Uh, nothing's getting freaking shipped, because Doug's in Malaysia. Um, so we'll we'll handle that as appropriate. But there's going to be a little bit of a hobby uh, shipping delay there. Uh, what else is new? So I, I just picked up Fury from the North, which is a fascinating book, especially if you know anything about the uh, you know, Korean People's Air Force, uh, the North Korean Air Force, the Korean War, 1950 to 53, how you write an entire, how many pages is this? Is that uh, the Helium Press one? Yeah, yeah, it is. So it's a great oh, book, man. but I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, how do you write this much about an Air Force that got shot down every time it flew? Uh, so <laughs> it goes day by day, almost every single op they flew. Uh, well, yeah, because there's like five ops they flew in the entire war, so that's five paragraphs. Uh, no, but it's it's actually really good because it does draw some distinctions between here's what the Korean People's Air Force was doing, here is what the Chinese PLAF's doing, here's what the, the Soviet MiGs are doing, and it talks about some of the exchanges between, so like when uh, the MiGs, the, the Soviet uh, air regiments and, and air uh, Corps would get their new MiGs and they'd transfer their old MiGs over to the Chinese, over to the North Koreans. It details some of that. Uh, I just got it today, so I really haven't done much more than look at uh, Tom Cooper's color plates in there and kind of see what the topics are. So it, it seems like it's got some good information, especially if you are one of those people who wants to play uh, missions where actually the North Koreans field ground attack aircraft. So it talks a lot about IL-10s and stuff like that. So I think it's going to be a good book. Um, and hopefully I'll get a chance to read it here before I uh, have to go to Malaysia. Shit. Does it make you want to uh, play some uh, Korean Blood Risk guys? Uh, no, 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 really. Not not at all. Nope. <laughs> I'll do that at NashCon. I'll get my glut of Korea 
Blood Red Skies stuff. That would be cool to get some IL-10s on the table. I I think that actually is cool. And I was talking with John Russell about that for doing Big Red Skies. We said, you know, he only has one IL-2 that you can make an IL-10, but maybe that's the interloper in the middle of your air-to-air mission as it comes trundling through the middle of the board, see who shoots it first. Uh, But yeah, I think think it'll be an interesting uh, reference book and have some good stuff to cover. Uh, So I've heard this rumor. I, I haven't seen them, but under the new kit and other shit out there, I hear there's new blue Falcon Hobbies paints. Steve, can you confirm that? I can. So we are going to do a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, an update to the USN USMC set to include the two early war colors, the gray and blue gray. And then for about six months, Chris has been saying we need this special black color that's, uh, you know, Games Workshop doesn't make anymore. And he sent me a paint swatch, and it is definitely a dark gray. So I guess I'll just be bottling. This is going to be Blue Falcon Hobby's gray period, and we're just going to bottle several different grays and have them out for everybody to enjoy. Nice, nice. Well, that yeah. Don't cool. call it anything else. Don't yeah, don't don't, don't, don't put a controversial be, name it's on be there. Gray. Right? We're going to be canceled. It's gray, 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 gray. (laughs) Oh yeah. Let's not get canceled because you know, everyone is just in such a great mood today on social media. Yeah. Not so much. Well, that would be good to, to have the, the earlier war, uh, blue Falcon paints. And I know I've seen a couple people use the mid war in a, in a, early war kind of fashion you can do it but uh, there's really some different tones to those paints so that will be cool to have and we'll uh we'll get those and we'll start painting some stuff up with those new colors all right i haven't seen anything else that i really want to talk about guys what else have you seen any new mats uh obviously there's a ton of new aces that came out from warlord with the f4s and all the other aircraft that are out there so there's, there's a bunch of new stuff uh up for pre-order both on warlord and lead pursuit um but what else have you guys seen it's not a sale item, but what was John talking about with um, something he did with the game boards for combined arms, where he made something oh, a little modular? Yeah, or he he did some cut and paste to make some new game boards for specifically for Korea scenarios. So I laugh because rather than doing something like a modern individual in Photoshop and digitally cutting and pasting. He literally made color printouts and cut and paste a bunch of the boards together to make his. So <laughs> it works. Whatever you need to do. I'm sure the Warlord Art Department is now having a heart attack trying to replicate it. But the uh, the fact is he made some different Korea combined arms boards so that we could play combined arms, which is, which is kind of the funniest discussion that John and I have had. And I'm going to say this now, after having done the combined arms episode, combined arms, while it is a cool boxed set, the concept isn't anything that anyone else couldn't have done with a handful of bolt action miniatures and some blank hex paper. But for some reason, none of us were able to figure out how to do it until they actually released a box set. I just find it kind of funny um, because it's stuff that gamers have been doing for years, making their own operational campaign, whatever systems. Uh, but uh, but it took us getting combined arms released for <laughs> the bolt action team to figure that out. Anyway, have they said they're going to add any expansions or anything to it yet. They've said they're going to. They haven't said where they're going to be or what they're going to be. So I think they are kind of. Uh, pausing and waiting and see how combined arms is done. 
I don't know how good those numbers are. What I've heard on kind of the rumor control central is the bundles were popular. In fact, the most popular bundle was the bundle of drum roll, please combined arms and blood red blood skies, red which, which means it's not a bunch of blood red skies players buying it. So that's a bunch of other people, either victory at sea, cruel seas or bolt action people picking up blood red skies. So I think that's kind of a good thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know over overall how well it sold out. I, I hope it did, you know, like everything else we want Warlord to succeed, but I, you know, I don't know if it, you know, percentage wise was a success, a flop somewhere in between, you know, who knows. But anyway, enough of me ranting. It would not be the Lead Pursuit podcast without Steve Toth's rant. Steve, what the fuck is pissing you off now? Well, it is pissing me off a little that this is becoming a regular segment. If I could like rant on it's that. It's pissing you off that you're pissed off. What the what the fuck? No. Yeah, but you know, I, I don't really, nothing really has me tuned up this week, except I think it's time that... We need to get rid of the alternate BRS ready room. I mean, we are literally the smallest niche game population out there. And to split it up just so Brett can post pictures of DO 335s and flying wings. I mean, everybody wants to see those. Let's just finally scrap the alternate BRS ready room and just put it all in one spot. We should just change the. More. We should change the uh, regular ready room to just the Do three three five ready room. Just make it- <laughs> I think that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I put it to you this way: there are more people who backed the new Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven game than play Blood Red Skies in the entire world. So that should put it in perspective: what a niche game we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Uh, so. There's a lot of shit going on, and I'll, I'll say it this way. June has been an interesting month. Obviously, there's a lot of people coming in playing Blood Red Skies, a bunch of new players. Uh, for the 470th time, someone said, hey, is there a problem with the Midway starter set? And all of us just chuckle and reset the clock. Reset the clock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but here in Huntsville... Uh, one of my local FLGS is closed, which is always a sad thing. You know, it always sucks to see a, a game store closed down. But it is kind of an interesting postmortem to see what communities were playing there, what communities were not playing there, and to kind of sit down with the owners and, and analyze where things went or did not go right. Uh, and you know, one of the things, as you know, Matt and I were talking about over lunch today, is that sometimes game stores get super compartmentalized and they become that historical gaming game store or that 40k store or that collectible card game store and the problem is when you do that man you're you're a niche market inside a niche market and even if it's something big like collectible card games you're not getting the the repeat business of the miniatures crowd if you're a historical kind of store and you don't cater to 40k and fantasy games then guess what that's that's a niche of a niche market Um, you may not like games workshop and 40k but there's money to be made there. So I think it's an interesting look at, at how game stores are doing their business and, and how are the ones that are really making it? Are they continuing to, what are they continuing to do? Um, but, you know, what have you guys seen for game stores in your local area? I know, Brett, you've got a big Warhammer store where you are and a couple FLGSs, but uh, what is everyone seeing? Yeah, there's two uh, uh, Warhammer stores near me and uh, 
the original Jacksonville one, and now there's one in St. Augustine. It's been there a little while. And I've, you know, I've cruised in there to grab some stuff for uh, AI, and they seem to be you know, rocking right along. I mean, I, I don't see them slowing down, but I think they're a little maybe – of insulated is the right word, you know, because that's such a big, you know, in the gaming world, I guess, a big following, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sad. In Penang, the Warhammer store there in Penang, Malaysia is actually closing. I, I didn't think that would happen. I figured the little FLGSs would uh, would kind of die first, but uh, they're going down to a single Warhammer store in all of Malaysia, and that's kind of disappointing. But, I mean, there's obviously a ton of Warhammer stuff in, in Singapore and a ton of FLGSs in Singapore uh, and a bunch of good FLGSs in, in Kuala Lumpur. So uh, it's it's interesting that for it can be a really big market, and then their stores can just fail based on dynamics. There's one really uh, pretty good FLGS store that I'm most familiar with in Jacksonville, but I haven't been in there in years. Funny story. I was in there with Gavin when he was just able to, you know, kind of walk around and stuff, and he was still in diapers and stuff. And uh, he's just standing there kind of looking at stuff, and I'm, you know, checking the shelves or whatever. And I... He was, you know, kind of at arm's reach, but I wasn't looking directly at him. And I hear him go, uh-oh. And I turn around and look at him, and he's peeing, and it's leaking out of his diaper into a big puddle on their floor. And uh, I so was So they so remember you, in other words. You're not welcome back. <laughs> no, I stopped going after that. I'm, I'm, I was too embarrassed to return. Of course, they were very gracious. Like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm running to the car, getting, like, you know, diaper towels and, like, trying to clean up the mess and everything. And I was just, you know, super embarrassed. But I, I, I literally have not been back nice. because of that. <laughs> Oh, don't worry. I won't remind Gavin of that. You caused your father to not go back to a local game store. So we have a couple big stores here in Austin, but it's all the, and they're moving right along, but it's Games Workshop, the Magic Cards, and like X-Wing that keep them alive. Like no matter what you see, I think historicals are just too niche for it. Because I mean, you got to think about it. For bolt action, there's how many different tanks compared to how many tanks in 40k? So, you know, you may want one Sherman, but, you know, that store is not going to carry one of 13 different variants that you want. But they're still moving right along. And the horse heresy, the new one, is just has taken off. And, I mean, the store's packed. Thou shalt not speak of the heresy. I didn't buy it. I just <laughs> I'm making a point. I know. I still didn't buy it. I, I have now walked past it twice and picked it up and looked at it and said, nope, 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 not going to buy it. I was actually just going to ask that. Like, have you ever seen a game store that mixes those things, like a big X-Wing crowd and a historical crowd? I, I've just, I've never seen one that. So yes and no. And, and Matt and I were talking about that because it's really interesting. In the Virginia area, yes. Uh, up there outside of DC, I've seen ones that mix it and mix it well. Here, sort of. Um, our, one of our big stores, The Deep, uh, is, a, is a comic and game store. And they get a wide variety of stuff through there, but they also, you know, they don't cater to some of the groups as much as some of the other stores. What I have seen, and this is the thing that kind of pisses me off and is most troubling to me, is I've seen the 40K crowd run off the historical crowd or the historical crowd run off the 40K and the collectible card crowd. And it's just weird. I don't get the dynamic of it. And and I bitched about it a couple episodes ago when, you know, historical people are really not willing to show up to a con because, you know, somebody there is wearing the blue fuzzy elf ears 
and that makes it not a gaming con or not a not a historical con. So we don't go to those kind of gaming cons. Give me a fucking break, people. Games Workshop player uh, doesn't come because the historical players wearing an SS uniform. Yeah, exactly. The SS gear is a little disturbing. Yeah, but but you know, but there's a point to that. So, and I've seen that firsthand how the historical crowd and how they interact and how they talk and how they run their mouth like there's people there that that are not going to get offended at the stupid fucking things they say. And then they're surprised that either staff from the store leaves and quits or that people don't want to be around them and don't want to, don't want to play games because they're just a bunch of asses. Um, oh yeah. So, Gatekeeping's real. We're our own worst enemy. Well, you know, it's weird. And so, so I will say there's, there's actually a good episode uh, on old men rolling dice where you hear them talking about gatekeeping and, and is it real? Is it not real? Does it really matter if it's real or not? Because even if you induce that own, a psychological pressure on yourself and it's all in your mind you still don't interact uh, and i was i was talking to bad about it today we were laughing about you know eating in malaysia and most of the places i go into uh thoroughly welcome happy to go there happy to sit down and and eat and try different things but there's a weird dynamic to certain kinds of restaurants there and i'd like going to a nazi kandar restaurant and all of a sudden everyone's looking at me like i don't belong and the people serving me aren't happy to be serving me and i'm like Dude, I'm just here to get some chicken and rice and some spices. What's up? <laughs> but whether or not they're actually gatekeeping me, in my mind they are. And in my mind they don't want me there. So you know what? I've eaten Nazi Kandar like three times when I've gone to Malaysia just because I don't feel welcome in most of the restaurants. Um, I, I probably – they probably couldn't care less that I'm there. But I create it in my mind because I'm interpreting what their, their body language is. Uh, and in a sense, it gatekeeps me from going back and eating more Nazi Kandar. I will say the best way to get over that is going back to NashCon last year. It's amazing when you have a female with you that all of a sudden everybody welcomes you into every game. Like all yeah, of a sudden, yeah, exactly. You, you brought Jamie, and all and... of a sudden everyone wanted you to play their game. <laughs> I see how that is. Well, but you know, it's it's funny to listen to some of the female gamers and and listen to in the same uh, you know podcast. One will say, "No, I've never had anyone." tell me that they don't want me at the game and the other one be like yeah absolutely i've had people that totally treat me like i'm not welcome and so it's interesting that's that there's even different experiences between different people so you you might find one person of, of one social dynamic that has never felt uncomfortable and others that have and and my whole attitude is whatever who cares i don't care if it's real or if it's in their head it's a perception that that is there therefore we need to do something to get over it I know there's a lot of historical gamers who don't believe that. They go, tough shit, if you want to play historical games, just show up and, and deal with us the way we are. That's not how the rest of the world works, dudes. <laughs> but that's all right. You know, be, be a good person, welcome other people, and, and learn how to have social skills when interacting with other people. Anyway, hey, I got in a soapbox. I didn't think I was going to get on a soapbox. Um, here's another one. Uh, speaking of soapboxes, so some interesting discussions this week with Team Warlord about the disconnects between the stores, the consumers, and Warlord, and how distributors have played into that, how uh, individual store ability to buy things and the stockist plan for, for Warlord, and how all those things just make a, a super negative environment for the consumer, that it's bad enough on the store, but man, when a consumer can't get a Blood Red Skies starter kit for eight months... You know, when they can't get a certain individual box because they need one box of fighters, but the store has to buy $1,500 worth of product. There's got to be a change at some point in how this works uh, because 
people aren't ordering it direct from the UK because of shipping. People can't order it through the stores because they can't get the the uh, you know the minimum order required. And top that off with there's constantly bad gouge going around of so I hear Warlord Games is going out of business. <laughs> okay, that's that's why I've got an entire warehouse full of new Warlord Games stuff because they're going out of business. Uh, yeah, so it's it's strange how all this has happened. I, I don't know. I, Steve, you talk to the guys at Mythicos a lot. It seems like their store always stocked, always seems to have stuff on hand um, and, and has a pretty good setup up there, right? Yeah, they really do. And actually, I guess I should have mentioned them. We were talking about mixing, you know, historicals and all this stuff because they, they play all kinds of games there, but they're always stocked. They, they have no issues and they have multiple stores and I don't know what their secret is, but Everybody talked to Nelson. He seems, he seems I think to have it together. Cold, yeah, I think it's cold, hard cash because Matt and I were talking about it. And you, you look at how some stores that are super successful, they literally have fifteen dollars to $20,000 minimum of stock on hand. And that's because they've had to buy it in certain lots. They've had to keep things on the shelf, and they don't necessarily know what consumers want. Uh, that's just a reality of anything in retail. And I think it gets magnified in the war games industry because there's probably only four or five major lines that are out there. And then all of a sudden you've got to have a lot of that in stock. So people that put down big cash plays are able to have things in stock, keep satisfying the customer. Um, people that don't, you know, they, they can only fund a, a handful of things. They just don't have the stock that people want. Um, but I mean, there's, there's times I know Casey, we saw it. When we went um, in a couple of different game stores that there's a huge warlord stock there that just isn't moving, you know, What's the deal with that? Well, I think that's what I'm talking about, too, is there's just so much like, you know, they're going to sell their Panzer IVs. They're going to sell maybe their box of Hellcats or Midway set. But there's just so much more variety to these historical games that it's a lot harder. And, you know, they're forced to buy like the 13 different variants of a Panzer IV just to like hopefully someone comes in and buy it. So then they have so much more product out there and it looks like they're not selling it, but they are. That's my right. thing is they're still selling the stuff. It's just, Hey, okay. I need all these, t- these seven different types of Italian infantry because I don't know what someone's going to come in and buy. So it looks like they have a lot of stuff out there, which is kind of funny. Cause we've even suffered that on the lead pursuit side. And you know, the, the reason we have a online store is so we can keep generally one of everything, uh, so people can pick it up if they need it because they don't want to order just a single box of airplanes from the UK. But what that means is there have been times that it's been funny for like like Soviet stuff. I can literally count on one hand this year the number of Soviet boxes of airplanes I've sold. <laughs> so not exactly been a popular Air Force. Uh, maybe we need to do a scenario special on Stalingrad. But, you know, part of that's also been due to just the popularity of the line has been the Midway, the Pacific, all those things this year. But, yeah, man, I think I've moved a couple boxes of MiGs and maybe a box of uh, of IL-16s, you know. So, yeah, it's – or I-16s. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Well, let's move on. Let's talk – taking from that point, one of the things I've seen recently that is – I would say it's troubling, but to me, it's just a, it's a symptom of success, uh, at least success for us as the war gamers, is Blood Red Skies release fatigue. The releases and the pre-orders through this calendar year have gone from huge numbers to moderate numbers to, okay, maybe like one or two aces being sold. And that's an interesting thing for me to see. And the more I stepped back and I looked at it, there was a lot of money exchanging in there for the aces early on. And when you looked at what individual gamers were buying, 
there was a lot of spending early this year. And I think when we look at the numbers, like there's seven aces uh, for the Japanese, nine U.S. aces since the start of the year, plus all the squadron boxes that have been out there. I think there's, in a sense, a little too much too fast. What do you guys think, you know, numbers-wise for what's kind of hit out there? I know for me, the aces just don't appeal to me. Like if I was going to buy Blood Red Sky stuff, I would want more aircraft, like official aircraft cards that are on the master list or like the uh, ops room thing that's coming out. But like aces just don't have enough utility to me as a gamer that I think it's more just an issue of I don't want the aces than the release fatigue. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at how the the boxes have sold, even just the squadron boxes, when we've got exactly what we asked for. So a couple months ago, we said, oh, man, all the Metal F4Us are gone. That's awesome. They're just going to get plastic Corsairs. And then all of a sudden, we got plastic Corsairs and cricket, 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 cricket. Nobody wants plastic Corsairs or resin Corsairs. (laughs) What's the deal, man? You know? I'd I'd probably be more likely to buy the aces if they were available in a product kind of like this ops room thing with the, you know, like a compendium of all the cards just for aces. I think that'd be a, something I would really want versus yeah. the yeah. plane and the card for one off stuff. Cause maybe like the card has some value for me, but I don't need the plane if it's not part of my collection already, that kind of thing. But I have, I think the cards have so, some value. So almost like an expansion pack where you'd be like the Japanese aces pack and the yeah, US yeah. aces pack. That would yeah. be very attractive to me. Yes. And, and I like your idea too. Like since they're not part of the ops room thing with, you know, you said equipment, cards and some of those things uh you know maybe that's a way to do it maybe offer like some one-off products where it's cards that are in yeah. you know those realms right that'd be fun so so ken nat if you were listening you did such a great job with the ops room cards you should push the idea of a ace pack country ace packs with you could even do battle games. ace packs ba- oh battled battle themed ace packs there you go ken Ken, you should push this right now. I, th- I think this would be your next great success. <laughs> we'll see what everyone wants. It's in my mind, it's super straightforward to go. I really don't need the extra airplane and extra stand. I, I I can live without that. I'll just do somebody else's airplane that way. But having the cards would be critical. I think that'd be kind of fun. Um, you know, and, and in a sense, I will admit that Lead Pursuit. We are a victim of our own success because when there were not resin warlord F four U's. What did we have? Oh, we had the amazing Blue Falcon Hobbies F4U Corsairs. And so a lot of people bought those. And I don't know if there were people that were going to buy Warlord Corsairs when they came out and were just using beta cards. Uh, or were they people who had metal Corsairs, didn't like them, you know, wanted something less heavy. Who knows? All I know is for a lot of the aircraft that Warlord released... Their box sales were underwhelming, but I didn't feel so guilty because our 3D printed sales were pretty heavy in the two months before their box came out. So, sorry, Warlord. Should have been faster. Mm. (laughs) I won't be getting a Christmas card from Paul Sawyer for that one or from (laughs) John Stollard, but that's all right. All right. What else for uh, BRS release fatigue? Anyone else seen any any reasons for people not to be buying this Blood Red Sky stuff? Because let's be honest, we got a shit ton of stuff this year in the first six months, I think. Uh, compared to a lot of other games that are out there, how was how were those releases paired with the box set? Was was there? They were always tied to it. So the the I think the only ones that it 
shifted a little bit was this last batch of Japanese aces was delayed. Um, and so you got the box sets first, and then you got the Japanese aces. Um, but we got F4Us and, and the F4U aces that are coming out. I guess they were also delayed now I think about it. So um, everything was pretty close. I think that's pretty smart, you know, if, if it because it goes with the box set. If you just, you know, if you're just starting and you're building your collection based on that box set, having those aces come out that are maybe relevant for your collection right around the time that you're diving into your box, man, that's probably a pretty smart thing. It's yeah, maybe, yeah. you know, my, my perspective is just a little warped probably because I don't have that collection. I, I have the box set, but I haven't even started painting it yet because my other collections, you know, the cue for the stuff I want to paint, it's just a different collection. But yeah, uh, yeah. that's that's why I think, like, from, like I wouldn't suggest that they do away with the individual aces like they have them now. I think that's a great thing for, like, all the people that, you know, want them for their individual collections. But for somebody like me who doesn't necessarily need that one-off plane and stand, like you were saying, yeah, cool. Give me a, give me a, let me purchase a collection of the cards. I'll do that. But yeah, Yeah, I can, I can see both sides. Even even if they had a print on demand, you know, out of print aces, that would be nice so that you could go out there and you could pick up just the cards for a lot of these guys that, that you actually want to play. And it, it, to me, it goes back to the, why we don't see them in tournaments People don't play them enough. They kind of go out of print. They fall out of vogue. They're worth a lot of points. So they don't get, they don't go through the daily churn like, you know, everybody, like all the other, you know, cards and everything do. So who knows? We talked a little bit about, you know, the collectible nature of some of this stuff. And I think we all agreed that those, those ace figures, the 28 millimeter figures were really pretty cool. And I guess those aren't even available anymore. Um, I, nope. I, th- I think it'd be exciting to see them release something like that again in a limited way. I think that could truly have some collector kind of stature to it, if you will. And uh, that'd be fun. You know, I, I don't know the reality of them actually doing something like that, but I could see that being kind of exciting as a one-off thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm quite frankly surprised as many other limited edition figures as you've seen come out for bolt action that they haven't done that for at least one of the aces, uh, one or two of the aces coming out. So... Once again, Warlord, if you are listening, here's some good ideas for you. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, there's a couple things conspiring against us. It's summer. People are taking family vacations. There's, there's money going out of people's pockets. Inflation. Infl- yeah, exactly. I did that. Sorry. Had to, had to get my political joke in there. Um, and you, all those things coupled together that people just don't have the disposable income to throw at little resin airplanes. Um, so... Lead Pursuit's going to go out of business if you don't buy our stock. No, no, we're not. <laughs> uh, we'll hold on to it and we'll we'll survive through this. We just won't. We just won't eat bacon. We'll yeah, <laughs> we just won't have any fancy restaurant meals at Adepticon. We'll be eating Sonic at Adepticon next year. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, so moving on from that, you know, kind of kind of one of the the big topics. <sighs> Is everyone else in a hobby funk? I'm in a little bit of a hobby funk. Yes, but I slowly getting my like feet back under me. It's just well, that, it's always that time I'm of year. A, it's just so let me hot. back up and say I'm in a funk in general. It I isn't helping with, mood. with people's social media attitudes, people's attitudes in general, all kinds of shit going on in the U.S. And I'm just in not the best of moods. So while it should be my therapy that I sit there and paint little airplanes, there's times that I don't even have the brain power to do that. And I guess if I'm going to, to make a pitch to anyone, uh, all the sarcasm and, and joking bullshit aside is 
in this time of social change, stress, a lot of other stuff going on, fucking please be good people. I see other communities out there tearing themselves apart over stupid release stuff, stupid things that have happened at conventions and tournaments. And thank God Blood Red Skies community is not doing that. We pick on each other pretty heartily. Uh, you know, some funny things have been said in the ready room recently, and things do get a little heated every once in a while. But here's the deal. There's enough toxicity and other bullshit on social media right now that I know for me, things like the ready room or some of my other war game groups are kind of my refuge. And, and to be honest, I've unfriended a lot of people. I don't see them in my feed and I don't miss them because you know what? I still see all my solo war gaming stuff. I see my Flames of War, my Blood Red Sky stuff and Battletech and, you know, I'm happy. I was in a huge hobby funk and I feel like I'm I'm on the uptrend now. I mean, I'm, you know, school's out for the year. I got some time off of work. Like I'm feeling like I, I'm coming out of it here. I'm going to be going to be back you on the hobby you have, back you on have the hobby more, horse <laughs> you have more than four hours of sunlight where you live that's yeah exactly is. he can now paint outside and it's no longer you know five degrees i'm kind of in a little upswing of my hobby stuff and i think part of it is uh you know just getting after it you know and i do my best when i just do a little bit each night i feel the kind of little sense of accomplishment for just, even if it's just a little bit uh and it anyway i've uh gotten a few little things done on a bolt action project I've been working on. I feel pretty good about that. I'm working on that Catalina. I think I'm going to bust out my, uh, my uh, midway starter set and get cranking on that too. So anyway, I've got a few things in the queue, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting after it, you know, a little bit here and there. That's, so. that's good. You know, I, and I've talked about it a couple of times. A lot of that is just the layout of your hobby space. I think I've got to come up with a better way to, even though I loved where my hobby space sits at the far end of my work desk, the fact is I already, I'm a remote worker, so I spend a lot of hours during the day at that desk. I don't want to come back up to that desk in the evening. So it's funny, my gaming table, I get stuff done over here. I get other game stuff done. I get you know stuff on Fulcrum Leader worked on, all that kind of stuff. But I don't get my painting and my priming and everything else done because that's over on that table that's the same as my work side. What do you got to say, Brett? Well, I just was I just finished a small bit of a project and uh, one of the things I came away after completing just three little figures with was like, man, that was a lot of fun and it comes on the heels of having done a a much larger squad of figures that were uh, I had like 10 uh like 40k space marines or whatever that I had had ready and were sitting in my queue forever. I was like, you know, I should do those. Anyway, it was kind of a slog to do 10. You know, I like to try to do you know be efficient or whatever so the whole idea of having 10 of them was to do that sort of uh, assembly line process but it was kind of a slog like 10 of them was just too much and i i found myself not really enjoying the process too much it was just kind of like a grind to get through them anyway i finished that project and then i shifted gears and did something different and when i was working on those bolt action figures i just did three and uh, because i was trying to like almost like test out what i was going to do because it was a new a new uh color scheme and some other stuff anyway Three was really satisfying because I felt like I was getting something accomplished and I was still doing that sort of uh, assembly line process. But three was just right. And uh, that was a good (laughs) thing. Well, I I ran into an assembly line problem earlier in the year doing my uh, midway starter set aircraft. And Steve's going to laugh when I pick on him here. So I was painting my aircraft dutifully with my Blue Falcon Hobbies paints, and I was putting some multiple coats on because those things go down so smooth and they're so thin. But the problem is 
literally, if I didn't put them down in a specific order, I'd totally get sidetracked to figure out, I couldn't figure out which ones I'd painted four coats on, which one had seven coats. And it was funny to me. I, I totally lost my mind going, oh crap, have I overpainted this one? Has this one got too many coats on? Uh, just because I didn't have a ho- disciplined hobby pattern for batch painting. Uh, but uh, but those are about to get their decals and be ready. And then I've got to move on. I've got uh, some more AI stuff that I've picked up that I've got to do a little uh, yellow contrast on for all of my yellow boys. <laughs> my other little lesson learned in that project was uh, the, the first three I did, I fully assembled, primed, and then started working on. And uh, I'm starting a second three and I'm doing the faces separately. So the heads are not attached to the bodies. The rest of the figures are completely assembled minus their heads. And I'm doing the heads separately because I found um, I couldn't really get to the faces the way I, you didn't have the control because, you know, stuff's kind of in the way and the angles weren't right. But having them separate on a, you know, on a piece of a paperclip stuck in a cork, I can really focus on the, on the face and get that done and, you know, then paint the rest of the model and stick it together. So lesson learned. Steve, what you got? You know, as long as we're like doing hobby therapy here, what's been killing me lately is like seeing all the pictures of stuff you guys are painting and, you know, everybody's hobby pictures on Instagram. I'm just in like this funk where I'm like, before I even start a project, I've like convinced myself that it's going to turn out shitty. So I just like stare at it without doing anything because I don't want to fuck it up. <laughs> it's like awesome. weird. I just like, I just need to get in there and start working on shit. You know, it's like, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny for me looking at stuff on Instagram because we always make the joke that you see somebody's post on Instagram. And they're like, this is the first mini I've ever painted. And it looks like it was done by a, you know, 17 year experienced commission painter. You're like, dude, that was not your first miniatures. <laughs> don't even don't even try to fool me. But the my problem with Instagram is there right now are so many cool miniatures and cool gaming things people are doing. It almost puts me in a hobby funk because I can't do them all because I'll sit there and I'll look like Hans team Yankee. I'll look at his stuff uh, that he's doing for modern, you know, you know, team Yankee style miniatures and stuff. And I'm like, Oh man, that's cool. Oh man. Those, you know, those cards that he's done are cool. That's really neat. And right about the time that I say, you know what, let me go break out some of my team Yankee stuff. I just picked up and let me paint that up so we can play seven days to the river Rhine then somebody puts up something cool from Warhammer. And it's like seeing the two different uh, Primaris Marines done with different styles of contrast. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, man, I really should. I've got those you know, Primaris guys primed. I could, I could go try the same technique. And so I've already lost the momentum that I had to do modern 15-millimeter armor. And then I'm thinking about, you know, oh, well, what could I do for the, the paints I've got to do yellow Imperial Fists you know, on Primaris? And then, of course, heresy box stuff comes up. So go fuck yourself, Chris. Stop sending me heresy box art. Uh, but I see cool heresy stuff. I'm like, ooh, wow, maybe I should go buy a bunch of Mark Sixes. I could do some cool stuff. And and I've gotten to the point where I almost wish I was seeing fewer cool miniatures on Instagram because then I could focus. And, and there's just so much going on in the hobby right now that I, I don't feel like I have focus on a project that needs to get done. You know, I feel like I'm kind of, hitting all over the page. I have the exact opposite problem of every time I post something on Instagram, everybody goes, Hey man, that looks great for your first mini. And I'm like, yeah, I've been painting for 20 (laughs) years. (laughs) 
So I'm a huge victim of the uh, good idea fairy problem too. Like, I'll- no, you are the good idea fairy. You're not a victim. You, you and Brett Cantor are the good idea fairies here. Continue. So- what I've been doing, though, is what's helped me, because I didn't paint for like two months, is I like, um, for lack of a better word, like third-party media to help me get going. So let's say, for example, like this Team Yankee is that like Seven a Days code, Line. Is that a code word for adult media, third-party <laughs> media? <laughs> but, um, so you find like, I mean, for the Team Yankee book or Red Storm Rising. Like if I read along with that, like at night, you know, after I paint or paint in the morning, it just helps me like stay on task because that's what I'm like interested oh, in. Oh, no. So... So I was laughing with Matt about that today. I picked up a copy of the Battle uh, Battlefronts Nam book just to see how they did Vietnam stuff. What was their take on doing on Nam fifteen? And that is a snoozer, man. That book, I I actually made the mistake of sitting downstairs and flipping through it, and then I fell asleep. Uh, Then, like the next time, I'm like, you know what? I'll just sit here in bed and read a couple pages about how they do minefields. And yeah, I didn't make it through the first paragraph. And so, (laughs) needless to say, some of these quote inspiration books not very inspirational, but they got great info. Uh, Well, because we've said these fiction books and stuff. I know, but we've and we've said it a couple times for Seven Days to the River Rhine specifically. There's no orders of battle in that game, and so Matt was asking me today. He's like, you know. What do we want to do? Do we want to, you know, what what's, what scale do we want to play? And I know we've all talked about it. There's a point where I'm like, well, we'll just pull a couple cards from Team Yankee and, and use those point values and balance something and then play it with the seven days to the River Rhine rules. Uh, because that's that's at least giving us forces that somebody should have balanced in some other game system. Uh, and hopefully it'll roll out the same in uh, seven days. Man, we could talk for hours on trying to stay on task hobby-wise. It's like a serious problem. I wish you would stay on task for printing. <laughs> Get back in the sweatshop down there and start printing again <laughs> while Texas still has power before they run out of power. Oh, my heat. God. <laughs> oh, well, the jokes just, yeah, keep on coming. All right. Well, let's let's finish up with a real quick discussion about one of the listener questions. I know there was uh, some discussion on the ready room about it. Um, people, people got pretty impassioned at points. Talking about twin engine bombers that are could both strafe and bomb. Yes, we're looking at you, B-25. Um, and how do you play that in the game the way the rules are written for Laden? Because it actually says, unless you're in the ordinance releasing attack, you can't shoot your fired forward-firing ordinance. Now, I've always taken that to be you have to be in a strafing attack to drop strafing ordinance and lose the effect of Laden, not if you're a bomber that happens to strafe. Casey, what uh, what kind of have your thoughts been on that? Honestly, like I haven't really encountered it because we haven't played with them where we've played, you know, only twin engine fighters, but not bombers where they could strafe. But I think I'm kind of along the same year lines, but I haven't encountered enough to really have like a legitimate opinion. Yeah, I, I think, uh, Steve, I know you you and uh, we all of us have talked a couple times about how you make these more. Uh, thematic or more, I guess, really more cinematic attacks where you, in Blood Vets, guys get to do something that, sure, it's in the history books, but I'm not sure how effective it was. <laughs> yeah, pro tip, if you're ever playing me in Blood Red Skies, bring something multi-engine, because I have no clue how the multi-engine rules work still, so you win whatever you tell me. Like, yeah, you're, gonna, you're automatically going to win. Just tell me what the rules are and I'll believe it. I do yeah. not understand the multi-engine rules. They are... They take, like, what is the simplest war game, and they threw, like, the most crazy, complicated thing in there. Uh, so I will take, I will defer to whatever you decide as 
being the way I play. Yeah, the good thing is Andy has said he's going to FAQ this. I think in in at least my consideration of, of the rules as they're written, I would just have changed it to say no air-to-air forward-firing ordnance. Because if you've got a bunch of bombs and you're doing a strafing attack or you're – all these things, it doesn't really matter. You're doing an air-to-ground attack. You should be able to shoot your forward-firing ordnance and then release bombs or release bombs later because it, it shouldn't be one than the other. Um, it, you know, it's it's kind of a semantics game right now because it's I think it's really well written and really specific, but I think it only allows strafing ordnance people to not be laden when they're making their attack. Uh, so hopefully Andy will FAQ that or put out a rules around a change that says, hey, you know, no air-to-air forward-firing ordnance. So that will allow you to then roll in, strafe the, uh, the the ship, and drop a bomb on it as you fly over. Because the other important point a lot of people forget about is with bombing, you just have to be within six inches of the target. It doesn't have to be in your forward arc. It's not like a strafing attack or a torpedo attack. Uh, so you could, in a sense, strafe one turn, move past it, and execute a bomb attack that turn. And that would you know, allow you to to use delayed action bombs because delayed action bombs can be dropped from disadvantage. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't be able to necessarily do it because you'd have to dive in, uh, shoot, next turn, climb, you know, move, make a small move, climb for advantage, then maybe you could make another bombing attack. I, I'm sure somehow there's some seven consecutive miracles you could make it happen and, uh, and, and do it. But I think most of the intent is met by just allowing forward-firing air-to-ground ordnance but not forward-firing air-to-air ordinance uh, when you're laden. Yeah, I always thought of that strafing ordinance as my trusty BF-109F with a single centerline bomb, like yeah. know, <laughs> strafing some airfield or something, right? Exactly, because that's kind of been the, the model, the way it's been written, and that if you want more, you attach uh, bomb shackles, and that obviously gives you another speed penalty on top of just being laden, and that's a speed penalty that doesn't go away when you drop your, your bomb, so you, you really get super penalized. But that also makes you truly an attack aircraft instead of just someone with strafing ordnance. So, yeah, meh, whatever. If that's if that's the most complex thing we're arguing about and the rest of the game's good, then I think we're fine because we're not check your six and it's not taking us four hours to resolve a single fighter, uh, you know, 4v4. Yeah, you could just play it the way that it's fun and that would be okay. There's, that's a crazy idea. Talk, talk with your opponent, tell them what you want to do and see if it makes sense. And... I'll be honest, most opponents, at least the people that I've played with, if if you showed up to the board and you had some fighters doing fighter things and your B-25s dive in and you go, hey, man, this turn I want to strafe and the next turn I want to bomb you because I'm shooting you first and dropping a bomb, I'd probably be like, holy shit, that's really cool. Let's do that. You're probably going to sink my ship. you know. But but it, most BRS players are not going to lose their mind over that. I don't think. Um, maybe some will. No, no, we're not going to do high altitude intercept. Brett, why do you like high altitude intercept? Did you actually beat Steve by playing high altitude intercept? No, we're still we're still playing our game. I just you know with those rules and stuff, I think man, even Jet One would be just awesome. <laughs> I just want to have something I can club you with. Yeah, yeah. I I uh, shipped out a box of ME two sixty twos today, and then I looked at him like, man, I need to paint up some two sixty twos. I need some jets for for World War Two. But uh, yeah. It's freaking that. hard to shoot down bombers. I mean, let's it's it's a it's a tough thing to get it do, get it done. I th- I th- I'll I'll say that with one tweak. It's tough to shoot down bombers if even with four engine bombers you have more than one. 
because I think the four engine bomber gets nerfed a little bit if you don't have multiples, because most of the scenarios say one four engine bomber. But if you're playing multiple four engine bombers with interlocking fire, where you already have a stupid number of dice you're shooting as a four engine bomber, and then it adds yet another die, that's just adding insult to injury at that point. And it's even when you can knock them down to disadvantage, they're just doing a lot of damage to you every turn. Yeah, a lot of opportunities for them to hurt your airplanes. Yeah, I think we're I think we have what four two engine bombers, but you know there's escorts and stuff, so you know the escorts are doing a good job of keeping me from getting too close and that kind of stuff. Well, maybe, maybe at Crucible, it's time for us to play B twenty nines and uh, and Migs and Sabers again, because that's that's a hard one. I think. I, yeah, I mean, put the Sabers in high cover and put some F eighty fours in uh, escort, like like oh, actually did F. F-84s, F-84s. Did I order some F-84s? Did, was someone supposed to print those for me? Casey, were you supposed to print some F-84s for me? Uh, <laughs> that's fuzzy. It's really fuzzy. I've killed those brain cells with tequila. <laughs> yes. Son of a bitch. All right. Well, get me some of those before Crucible. <laughs> Otherwise, they, they have zero chance of getting painted. Uh, but no, I, Brett brings up a good point because then at least you have something where it's not. Uh, super powerful sabers and the bombers against the MIGs. Uh, the MIGs have a chance to do some damage. And, you know, here's the funny thing. I wrote a couple quick start scenarios recently for F-84s. And then thankfully, uh, Plane Printer and, and a couple other models came out with those. So I'm like, yes, I can now play F-84s, um, even though we have some horrible beta statistics for them and they're just absolutely meat. Uh, but it'll be fun. All right, so what else have you guys seen you want to talk about for this week, or is everyone beat and ready to go home? Y'all are beat. Y'all are tired. (laughs) Casey's still in the funk. Uh, No, I guess that's it. We covered a lot of stuff. All right, so I'm going to throw the challenge out, because my own League Pursuit boys have left me hanging here. And the challenge is going out to the rest of the community. Figure out the Blood Red Skies lead pursuit saying for the end of the podcast because I have no idea how to close these podcasts and they sound terrible. So you could literally influence the success of the Lead Pursuit podcast. Suggest something witty, something sarcastic, and quite even possibly profane uh, for us to end our podcast with every week. And what will be the reward? Well, our undying gratitude, obviously. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll hook you up with some swag and maybe even some models of your choice there. But uh, yeah, seriously, submit some of that. Uh, give us some feedback on social media. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Um, tell us how we should never end our podcast or how we absolutely should end our podcast. Uh, and generally, hopefully all of you are going to go out, play some games, have some fun, and generally not keep fucking it up like Casey does. Thank you all very much. We're going to talk to you another time. So what do y'all think about the card deck, motherfuckers? I think we just lost Doug. I think so, too. Oh, there he goes. Dang. It always happens to him. Now he's going to come back super pissed. I think he's using that Elon Musk Starlink bullshit or something crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he's fighting with it with their Ukrainians trying to connect to the internet. <laughs> Some Byroktar drone just dropped <laughs> 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 a fucking bomb and he lost his internet from Starlink. <laughs>